And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 136. And you know what? It's day 26 of 31 Nights of Halloween. Not the same, but two sixes. <laughs> One more and whatever that means. <laughs> right? Ooh. Numerology. Well, I don't know what any of that is, but I do know that I binged a whole season of this new show on Netflix called Grand Army? Question mark? <laughs> I think. <laughs> no, it is. It's Grand Army. It's a high school thing, but it's gritty. Trigger warning, it does have sexual assault. But, so it's, again, it's, I don't know, it was really good. Also, I successfully watched all of Halloween Wars, and you would think I could carve a pumpkin better than I did on our live Sunday. It's not that you didn't carve it well. It's that you took a very long time. And still messed up a lot. Like, a very long time. <laughs> Look, I'm a slow person. And I do everything fast. Yes. And then she's annoyed with me because I'm slow on things. Can't help it. I have a system. I got to stick to it. A system? We don't know how to fucking carve pumpkins. There is no system. I know. It was like, wait, what do I do? What do I do? We got lots of recommendations after we had already fucked up. So next year, it's going to be Halloween Wars style going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to paint pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, that or carve boo. No, I feel like I can still fuck up boo. Those are words, yeah. I just yeah, carve like, like a circle. Yeah, well, that's two-thirds of boo. <laughs> are you doing it hollowed letters? I don't know. That's why I just said I could fuck it up. Because oh, <laughs> <laughs> the more I thought about it, I was like... I would probably knock the whole letter out. Uh-huh. And you're not supposed to do that. You know, just like I did on my D, on my pumpkin. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to this on time, which is not like Donna and me, and you want to catch a live, we are doing a live in the Facebook group tonight. It's got a lot of elements to it. I don't know how I talk Carrie into it. And honestly, I don't really understand what the whole concept was. I just threw out a lot of things, and she said, okay. She caught me in a weak moment, guys. We've done a bunch of Facebook Lives this month. Most of them have been in Patreon, and these people got to be there. So we hope you enjoyed it. Jasmine H. from California. Sarah J. from California. Why, why are you copying me? Mm-hmm. Bonnie M. from New Mexico. Marissa R. from Arizona. Leanne T. from Colorado. Angela N. from Texas. Zoe O. from the UK. And Susan C. from Texas. Thank you all so much for your support. We hope that you are enjoying all of the extras, all the monthly bonus content, as well as all the 31 Nights of Halloween little treats that y'all have. If you want any of that, go on over to patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. All right. Well, moving right into this story. Picture it, a group of teens who were bored on a weekend decide to spice up their night. They're not trying to break any laws, so no drinking, no drugs. Instead, they want to play a game. You know, they don't have to ask Jeeves or anything like that because YouTube exists now, which is so much better than what we had back in the day. So they gather around, watch some videos, and they decide on a game that is more of a ritual, honestly. And it's rumored to be one of the most dangerous. It's called the Three Kings Ritual. So, just a disclaimer, we're not suggesting that you play this game. 
we're just telling you what it is, or I'm just telling you what it is, and some other people's experiences. But if you do or have played before, tell us your experience. I've literally never heard of this. Well, I'm not surprised. The Three Kings ritual first popped up on Reddit by a user named Fable Forge. This was eight years ago on the No Sleep subreddit. And, you know, that's where people can post creepy things. It could be fictional or non-fictional. In his post, he said that it was a relatively safe way for people to access, but not quite enter, a place he refers to as the shadow side. He warns participants that they should be cautious, but not ignorantly afraid of the shadow side, because many have probably seen it before and thought of it just as a reoccurring dream and nothing more. However, while playing this game, your ignorance will fuel your fear and the shadow side consumes your fear for energy. So it's kind of like educate yourself before playing this game. Also, he thought of the concept for this game ritual thing when he was in juvie and it was like a lot of trial and error on people's part of doing this and these are the rules that he laid out that like seem to work the best and, you know, like have consistent results and all of that. So how do you play this game? First, Fable Forge warns that if you do drugs or consume alcohol the night of the game, it's going to end up being a bad experience. And also, if you're dealing with a lot of serious life shit and not feeling mentally stable and just kind of wanting this for a release, you're going to have a really bad time. And also, not just a bad time, but you're making you and your friend very vulnerable. So you need quite a few things to play it. So we're going to go over the CVS receipt length of things you got to have, and you cannot leave any of this out. First and foremost, a large, quiet, windowless room. If there's no rooms without windows, you choose any, but you have to cover the windows so no light from the outside leaks through. And also the room needs to have a door that can close and latch. You need a candle, a lighter, a small bucket of water, and a mug or cup, an electric fan, two large mirrors, an alarm clock, three chairs, a fully charged cell phone, a partner in crime for this game, and a small object that holds sentimental or emotional value for you. And once you have all of your items, you will begin to set up for the Three Kings ritual at 11 p.m. Something very important to remember is that you should not begin if your friend is not present or is not aware of their role in this ritual. The person you choose as your partner must stay inside your home the entire duration of the game. First, go into the room that you've chosen to use and place one of the chairs facing north. And see, right here, I've already fucked up because I don't fucking know where north is. North is in front of me. Anytime. Like, it's in front of me there. I turn to the left, which is... uh, West. Yeah. Like, that's it. Then north is in front of me there. Yes. it, It turns with me. It revolves around me. So, again, you place one of the chairs facing north. If you can find it, use your iPhone as a compass. Who knows? This is going to be your throne. Then next, you place the other two chairs beside you 
one on each side about an arm's length away. These will be for the queen and the fool during the ritual. Next, you're going to place and secure a mirror onto each chair that's facing your throne and make sure that when you're sitting in your chair, you can see your reflection in your peripheral vision. Like, that's super important. I need a diagram already. Mm-hmm. Well, Carrie would never do any of these games because she would say, Donna, read it. Yes. Like, I'm like, okay, you said a large mirror. And in my head, I pictured those white folding chairs that are not extra large pizza friendly. And then you said, attach the big mirror to that. And so I was like, okay. So in my head, it went from this huge, massive mirror to like a $5 Target mirror that's full bodied. And then you said in your peripheral vision, I'm like, I need a diagram. (laughs) You fancy with those white chairs. We only had metal all the time. The metal's better. Oh, okay. Well, after you look at the diagram, you set your stuff up. Then you want to place the bucket of water and your cup in front of your chair, making sure they're barely out of reach. This is because you want them close enough in case you need them, but not close enough that you might trip over them if you're anything like Carrie. Next, you place the fan behind the throne and turn it on, but not on high, only on medium or low. And if you've watched any of our Facebook Lives, y'all know Carrie loves that office fan on high Mm-hmm. So this girl, already, she's like... I'm out. Don't want that. Don't like this. No, no. I'm also thinking, he figured this out in juvie. How he got all this shit up in there? I don't know. And I'm, <laughs> I think he said he was in Mexico. And I, I don't know. Honestly, I have no idea. Who knows? Contraband. Also, you have to make sure the fan is stationary, not the wonderful oscillating ones. Or if it is, like, you know, don't use it as an oscillating fan. Now you're almost done. You turn off the lights, leave the room, but be sure to leave the door open and go straight to your bedroom. Once in your bedroom, place your cell phone on the charger, the candle, the lighter, all of that close to your bed so you can easily reach them without having to hunt for them because you're not going to have a lot of time when you wake up. Then you're going to set your alarm clock for 3.30 a.m. And we all know that 3 in the morning is when things get spooky dooky, as Carrie likes to say this <laughs> month. That is her new saying. Last year, it was Halloween. Mm-hmm. Then the last thing that you're going to do in preparation is to collect your chosen power object, that sentimental object, and get into bed. And you want to cradle or hug this object while sleeping. And this part would be hard for me because, you know, I toss and turn. I'm on my stomach, all the things. And also you have to sleep till 3.30 from 11 something to 3.30. I won't go to bed till like 3. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Not for me. Also, make sure your phone is charging. Like double, triple check it. You got to be on the safe side because you need your phone. Well, your alarm should go off at 3.30 a.m. So you need to stop the alarm, but do not turn on the lights. Instead, light a candle, gather your power object, your cell phone, and then you return to the room that you chose for the ritual. You only have three minutes because you must be in your seat at 3.33 a.m. And if you fail to get there in time, do not continue. But that's not the only warning to abandon the game. If you don't wake up at exactly 3.30 from your alarm, don't continue. And make note if the door to your ritual room is closed and if the fan is off. If either of these 
happen, do not continue. Remember, you left your door open and the fan on medium or low. And if you've broken any of the rules or any of these things occur, such as the door or the fan, do not stay inside of your house. You and everyone who is inside must leave and not return until at least 6 a.m. Any earlier and it's still not safe. However, if all is well and you're in your seat by 3.30 a.m., you can continue with the ritual. Your friend must wait outside of the room during the game. Okay, so the ritual. It's imperative that you remember to not look directly at the mirrors, but instead focus your eyes on the darkness in front of you. And also, don't let the candle go out. That means you cannot let your body move because the fan's behind you and it's going to blow it out. And that would end the game. And it's said like that the candle is to represent the spirit. So if it blows out, they're gone. So then the game definitely is over. But it's kind of a fail safe. If you can't handle it, you move your body and the candle can be blown out. Now, while you're looking ahead into the darkness, you begin to ask questions. If you receive any answers, they will come from the mirrors on either side of your throne. But do not shift your eyes or move your head. Continue to look forward into the darkness. And just an FYI, do not look into the candle's flame either. Only the darkness in front of you. And remember how you set the mirrors up so you could see out of your peripheral vision? This is why. Because you can't move your head, but you need to be able to see your reflection. Also, when you receive the answers, keep in mind that you don't know which mirror is the queen and which mirror is the fool. So you need to be very careful if you choose to follow any advice from the mirrors. You have to decide which is which. And also, because it's called three kings, think about it. From their viewpoint, you are either the queen or the fool. Fable Forge, you know, the original poster about this, he said that you need to have both mirrors in the corner of your eye to enter the state of mind where the queen and fool can come out. And once they come out, he said that that's where you risk some psychological trauma if you face either one of them directly. That's why you need to keep straight ahead. He further explained that when he refers to the shadow side, it's a place where he believes sentience comes from as well as dreams. I hope I'm saying that right, but sentience, (laughs) if that's correct, is the capacity to feel, perceive, or experience subjectively. So instead of reason, you're feeling it. And he said that he believes when you face a mirror directly, that implies that you're agreeing with whatever it's expressing and you really think whatever the queen or the fool is thinking. And so if you agree, their mindset can take over and dominate all other opinions. So he made sure to note that it's not possession because it's kind of like a side of yourself taking over, but it's definitely not healthy. This goes on to 434 in the morning. And all this time, you do not leave your throne or divert your eyes. At exactly 4.34 in the morning, your friend will end the game or ritual by calling out your name. However, 
That has not worked in some experiences. So if that is the case with you, they need to call your cell phone then. That's why you need it charged. If you are still unresponsive to them, then and only then can they enter the room, dip the mug or the cup into the bucket of water, and basically throw it on you to snap you out of the trance. They cannot touch you. And if this still doesn't work, they need to make you hold your power object and that will help recenter you. And also, like while you're playing this game for that hour, if you feel yourself getting lost during the game, you can use your object yourself to keep yourself from being in that unresponsive trait. But many say they realize that a little too late. So now I'm going to tell you all some experiences I found on Reddit. The first one is going to be from MJ Koenig, and it is from seven years ago. So when they went into their room, started the ritual, a few minutes passed and nothing happened. But then they started to hear something from the darkness, but it was around the door. They said it sounded like faint singing in a language that they couldn't understand. But then the darkness just kind of turned into a mass of shadows that looked like people. And they were all marching from right to the left, like they were in a parade. And the person said that they could not help but feel elated and happy. But then after a couple of minutes of this, they noticed a second noise. And it was from the chair on their right. And it was this sound of someone writing something down, kind of like a scratchy sound. And this person is as nosy as me. They wanted to know, what are you writing down? But like also didn't want to ask. But then the scratching, scribbling sounds ended. But then a voice from the chair on the left spoke up. The voice stated the writer's name and then started listing off every good deed that they did in their life. It could be monumental good deeds, small, like minute deeds, accidental, all of them. Even the ones when he was a little boy, had forgotten about, you know, didn't think twice about, listed everything off. But then after going through all of the good deeds, it went all over the bad things as well. And that one kind of like broke him down. Say like even the small things like when he was five and stole a chocolate bar from his sister's Halloween candy. Yeah. Like just the smallest things that you're like, that counts against me? Well, after it finished listing everything, it started to speak to him directly. And when it was speaking to him directly, he said it was kind of like a high school guidance counselor. It encouraged him to stay off of drugs and alcohol. And it said that it didn't mind if he skipped church on Sundays, (laughs) as long as he did more charity work and told him to call his parents more often because they've been worried sick about how he's been doing. Well, isn't that just a nice upside down? Right? Well, so he did hear his girlfriend call for him. And when she said his name, both voices said goodbye. And the music and the other like dark shadows faded away. And he heard the chairs scrape against the floor like people were getting out of them. He didn't go into detail with his girlfriend, but he said, I think God just told me to straighten up. Like, (laughs) I don't know. He said, so what the hell happened? Did I talk to God? Was it like a prank from some supernatural being? Like, what is this? I don't know. And call your mother. 
Right? That one wasn't a scary experience, but it's definitely weird because it knew everything about him. This next experience is from Whiskey Legion on Reddit, and this is from eight years ago. So this starts out kind of the same way. Five or so minutes pass, and there's nothing happening. But then they feel a gentle tug on the blanket, which they had wrapped around their right hand. But it was dangling in front of their legs. But they were like, nope, not going to think about that. You know, like, yeah. mm-mm. Well, then... He hears something say, now, he says, now it all comes out. And it was coming from his right-hand side. And he said, he's not sure if it was coming from the mirror or just that general area, but it was a voice of an older male, not angry or aggressive, just like a man telling a story at a bar. So then that voice asked, now, where does he go from here? Well, this person was like, I don't fucking know what these people, like, what this voice wants, but okay. And so they replied, I don't really know. I don't know him. And they said there was a brief silence with a slight chill in the air, but then they started to feel a bit uneasy about answering back. Like, oh, did I just start something I can't finish? You know, the next thing that the voice says is, oh, well, he knows you and wants to know where to go. So he replied, who knows me? And then the voice kind of turned aggressive. Oh, stop with all that nonsense. Just tell him where to go so I can go home. And so this, I feel is so us, because we all know Carrie panic answers and shit. Mm-hmm. And I just am silly as fuck. But this is what the writer said he answered. Tell him to go southeast and follow the seagulls. Well, then they heard a second voice, but it didn't sound like the voice was coming from a mirror. It sounded like it was coming from behind them. And they're thinking, uh, this is not what they said on Reddit. Uh, it comes from the mirrors. Like, I'm supposed to look straight ahead. Nothing is supposed to come from behind me. Well, then the second voice says... I am not of he or she. I am here, there, and everywhere. And the writer said that the voice was old and shaky and again sounded like a male. But at this time, they could feel tears coming down their face. And it was mixed with sweat. Like their body was reacting to what was going on. So the writer said, "Um, may I ask your name? The second voice said, oh, but I have no name, nor number, nor tag. But then the first voice cuts in. Oh, but we are all here and we don't know where to go. And the writer said that their whole body was trembling. But then they could hear their phone ring. But they kept their eyes straight ahead, you know, like not going to look. But their girlfriend comes rushing in and like, you know, again, saves them. She was calling them on the phone They could hear it, but were afraid to, like, break free from this. They said that they wanted to leave, but they couldn't get their body or really their mind to let them. Okay, the next Reddit experience is from eight years ago, and it's from Throwaway Kings. This person just goes on to say that they were initially super intrigued. Also, though, 
The whole thing about the shadow side made their skin crawl. And so they just dismissed it because they were like, no, never mind. However, a little bit later, they were feeling better. They weren't so depressed and all of that. And they also wanted some closure because their cousin, who was like their best friend, died four and a half years earlier. And they never got to say goodbye. So they were looking for something like, you know, a goodbye, some kind of closure with that. Again, the first few minutes, nothing really happened. They were staring at the wall and they quickly lost track of time, like the grasp of time. They couldn't get it. Well, then they started feeling a little disappointed because nothing was happening. Yeah. But then... All of a sudden, they were immediately overcome with this feeling of deep despair. And they said they can't describe it other than utter sadness. And it came out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere, and hit them like a ton of bricks. Then out of the corner of their eye, the mirror to their right looked like there were water droplets falling down it, like your windshield during a rainstorm. But then they felt a tear fall down their cheek. And they said, I don't know if it was because I was that scared or if I felt that sad, you know. But then from the left, they heard a soft, comforting shh. Then from the corner of their eye, they noticed that mirror on the left looked lighter somehow. Then they heard their own voice from their right side say, no. And so the person asked, no what? Yeah. And the voice on the right answered, stop crying, you fucking bitch. Oh, my God. But then they continued to hear that soft shh coming from their left side. And they said it felt like days down there, like just constantly doing this. It's the Reddit version of the angel and the devil on your shoulders. Yeah. The voice on their right side kept insulting them saying they don't deserve to be alive, they're a waste of space, like all of these really hurtful things. Which I imagine is why he said, make sure that you're in a mentally stable place, because if you're already vulnerable to that with like the negative self-talk and all of that. Yeah. Well, the voice on the left, the one that was comforting, it started to sound like a younger boy. Again, with the shh. But it would say, it's okay. And again... They said this went on what felt like hours upon hours, but it only lasts an hour. Well, the next thing they remember, they were getting splashed with an entire bucket of cold water. Their girlfriend had called their name, but they were not responsive, then called their cell phone several times with no answer. So then they came into the room and used the water, brought them back. But the girlfriend said that they were sitting straight ahead with the candle clutched in their left hand and in their right hand, it was in front of them at face level, like I was holding it against someone else's. And she said that they were smiling. Oh. Yeah. And one of the commenters said, kind of like an angel and demon on your shoulders in cartoons. So like when you said that, I'm like, yeah. A YouTuber named Sam Goldbach He did this Three Kings ritual in 2017 and, of course, filmed it. But the thing to take away from his whole ordeal was that he had a really bad headache. But one of the commenters said it's because of the mirrors and how they're placed. 
because it creates a vortex, which does cause your head to hurt a lot. So it's interesting when you kind of peel back layers that it could be not supernatural. It could be all like mentally, like psyche kind of stuff and environmentally affected. So what is the point of the Three Kings ritual? It's a way for a person to contact two separate sides. So the queen represents the good, the fool, the bad. And to elaborate on that a little, Fable Forge said that he personally thinks that they are two attitudes towards a certain problem or issue pertaining to something important that you didn't resolve back when it was still out there in the open. Instead, you chose to forget, try to bury it down, but now it's coming back up. And so now you're trying to work through it. But he said, please remember, do not make choices while playing Three Kings because you never know if it's actually good advice from the queen or harmful advice from the fool. Wow. Okay. So would you do it? I would because I feel like in a way it's like hypnosis or like a scrying Mm, and stuff, you know, so I've... I don't feel like there's any supernatural stuff to it, but people do say like, no, you're summoning a demon in and that's like, you know, whatever. But I really do feel like it is the two sides of you coming out. And so you could work through some psychological trauma or you could cause yourself more. Who knows? It is a risk. And that's why I say, do not play this game. But if you do, send it in for a sinister sightings. All right. Creep Mom, who is one of the moderators in the Facebook group, she actually gave me the idea for this story. So picture it. January 10th, 2003 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There actually is a movie about this story. It's called Rough Cut. There was also a Dateline episode about it, but I couldn't find that episode. But I did watch the movie. All right, going back to the story, January 10th, 2001, and police get a call from Brian Trimble. On the call, he is so upset, and he tells police that he came home, and he found his wife in the garage dead, and that there is blood everywhere. He's so, like, shocked and upset. They ask how old she is, and he's like, 27 or 28? I can't even, I can't remember. Like, he's so, he's freaking out. I mean, hello. When police get there, the scene is gruesome. There's blood everywhere. The house is in disarray. And Randy Trimble, 28 years old, was laying face down in so much blood that the investigators couldn't even tell she was a female. Because her hair was so matted to her in blood. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. The house was interesting. Mattresses were turned over. Drawers were emptied, but nothing taken from them. Cleaning products were poured out of the bottles. Movies were strewn about. Purses were taken out of closets and stuff, but not rummaged through. Like, And police are going, this is so ridiculous. Like, This looks like something you would see on TV. Like, if a show, you know, you'd see this on fucking NCIS or some shit if somebody pretended like they're rummaging through something. In any situation like this, a wife is dead, the husband found her, they're going to want to find out where the husband was. 
and he had an ironclad alibi. And he told the police, I got home at 8.10. And they're like, how the fuck you know you got home at 8.10? He's like, well, I happened to look at my watch when I got there. And they're asking him stuff like, where did you leave lights on for? Because right after Christmas, he was like, yeah, I left the Christmas lights on because she, you know, she loved the lights, blah, 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 blah. And so the police were like, okay, well, based on the timeline and when we know he was gone, there's no way it could have been him. The crime scene was too gruesome for him to not be covered in blood or tracked blood throughout the house, that kind of thing, in order to clean himself up. Like, there's no way he could have cleaned up enough to play it off like he didn't do it. So, who was Randy Trimble? Randy was so close with her family. Her mom was a single mom. And from what I have seen through articles and the movie that I watched, because her mom was on that Rough Cut movie, there was no mention of her father. Like, In one of the articles, it even said Randy's mother refuses to call him by name. So I don't know what the story is there, but it's bad. Randy was super smart. She had all A's in high school. She was a drum major. And after she finished her bachelor's, when she went into graduate school, she even got a scholarship for grad school because she's that smart. She went to college to be a speech pathologist, which she was. When she was 25, she had bought a house and was just living her best life. One day she was going on this job interview at this daycare and she met this guy and was like, okay, he kind of cute. Okay, okay. Hey, what's your name? How you doing? His name was Brian Trimble. And of course, the rest was history. They fell madly in love and got married. Brian wasn't as goal oriented as Randy. He was kind of all over the place with his career. He was going to be in the Air Force, and then he was going to go into nursing and just all these different things. He ended up working in IT at Blue Cross, like the insurance company. As he got into IT, he started really getting into cinematography. He had all the camera equipment, you know, really kind of threw himself into that hobby. Well, Randy was working two jobs to keep them afloat. Before they got married, Randy, again, as a speech pathologist, noticed Brian's voice started changing a little bit. And one day, his mom took him to the hospital because he really wasn't feeling well. And on the way, he had a seizure. So, long story short, or long story shirt, as Donna would say, Mm. after quite a few doctor's visits, Brian was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. With MS, depending on what kind you have, depends on the severity and where your lesions are and all of that, but... The most common forms you have is called relapsing remitting, which means you kind of like you get the symptoms are worsen and then it gets better. Then you get worse and then you get better. So it's kind of this ebbs and flow. Randy's mom talked about this on the rough cut saying how, you know, he was diagnosed before they got married. And so she asked Randy, like, are you sure you know what you're getting into? Like, this is going to be a hard road. Are you sure? And Randy was like, absolutely. Like, I love him. I'm going to take care of him. Yes, I know this is going to be hard, but, you know, he's my person. While Brian was working at Blue Cross, he had a co-worker named Blaine Norris. Blaine, okay, picture a wannabe filmmaker who also really loved Renaissance festivals and really loved Dungeons and Dragons. I have a few people in mind. Okay. Oh, right. I can think of like 20 people off the top of my head that we know that this is totally their style. What is this? A game show? Well, I can think of 21. 
<laughs> Anything you could do, I could do better. <laughs> Blaine was trying to make a movie. And he wanted this movie to be kind of a thriller set along the Appalachian trails. Picture a time right after the Blair Witch Project came out. So all of these film fanatics who wanted to make it big in the film industry kind of got a breath of fresh air going, okay, okay, this film was very low budget. I can do this. And that's kind of how Blaine was. The name of the film was Through Hike, a ghost story. Blaine had it all planned out. He even had a quasi-famous actress who played in a lot of soap operas lined up to play one of the main roles. Did she play in Passions with Timmy? I mean, probably. I mean, it was supposed to be a ghost story, so maybe she brought him <laughs> over from set. <laughs> that was a creepy fucking show. I know this is like the second episode we brought this up, but that fucking doll was creepy when he came to life. But it was like a train wreck you had to watch. Well, I guess I need to YouTube it. Girl, you never saw it? No. Oh, do I have a treat for you. The only thing I ever watched was Days of Our Lives, and it was Marlena. And John Black and Stefano. Yes. Mm -hmm. And when she had the evil twin and all of that. Oh, when she she got buried alive and when Uh she was possessed by a demon. Girl, I know. Yes. That was one of the best summers of my life when she got possessed by a devil. On it. A devil. Uh, just the one devil. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Free right. That's why she moved on to passions. <laughs> but seriously, they could have been just three people, and I could have watched that whole thing. Yeah. Like, that's all I wanted. Oh, I hated watching John Black kiss because he kissed so like, what? He was the Richard Gere. Of yes. That? Okay. Yes. Like, like it. Um, okay. Moving on. The only problem with the film was that. Blaine didn't have any money. So he wanted all of the people who were going to be a part of it to put in $5,000. He was going to put the rest on credit cards, but he wanted everybody to have a stake in it. Well, Randy was like, uh, fuck no. We're not giving this guy. She's working two jobs. No, we're not going to give fucking $5,000 to this dude to make a, no, no. And it's a terrible title for a movie. Uh, it really is. Through like, Hike, a ghost story? Through Hike what? Hike through? And Like, through Hike. Brian really wanted to be the cinematographer for this film. Well, here was the problem. Brian's MS had, again, with its fluctuations, he was in a kind of a bad place, getting sicker. And with MS, a lot of people are sensitive to temperatures. The hotter they get, the more it exacerbates their symptoms. So he does not need to be traipsing through the woods, getting hot and exhausted. And again, she's working two jobs. Like, no, no, you're not going to burn. You know what I mean? If you can do that, go get another job. Blaine ended up getting an investor for about $15,000, $18,000. And so the film was a go. He obviously was a little bummed that his buddy Brian couldn't do the cinematography, but Brian was like, look, I'll loan you my equipment and I'll teach you how to use it all. Look, you got your investor. Keep going. Don't let me be the one that stops you. I mean, meanwhile, Randy's like, I don't want him fucking using all your equipment. That shit's expensive. You know, then the actress that was going to be like the headliner that brought people into this no name film fell and broke her wrist so she had to drop out of the film they ended up 
being able to recast her spot, and the film pressed on. During this time, Blaine, who was married, was having some difficulty in his marriage. He was using all of their savings and credit cards to put towards this film, and his wife thought he was having affairs with some of the cast members. He was kind of odd, though. While all of the women who were a part of the film said, look, none of us had affairs with him, there was like this weird kind of sexual undertones because in Rough Cut, you can see a lot of like the behind the scenes filming. And there was just, again, a lot of like sexual innuendo. There was a sex scene that was going to be in the film. And Blaine was like, hey, let's go rehearse the scene like in a park with all these people around. And the actress was like, um, I've had sex before. Like, I don't, I don't need to practice this in a park full of strangers. Like, no, no, no. We're good. I don't need to practice it. The filming wrapped, and now it was on Blaine to do the editing. But life happens, and he and his wife were getting a divorce. So he had been emailing all of the cast, regularly updating them. And then as his marriage really fell apart, he started to not communicate as much. So now he's got all this debt. His wife has left him. And... Now the film's not even going anywhere because he can't even edit it. Can we go back just for a second? Am I the only one? Anything with a part, all I hear is salute your shorts makes me want to fart. <laughs> Every time. Like you said it and I was like, makes me want to fart. And I was like, why? Why do I do that? Every time. I don't know because that's not even the word. No, it's not. But it just rhymes with it. And so it's like, I don't know. And does anyone know if that's streaming anywhere? <laughs> I think it is. A lot of Blaine and Brian's coworkers thought that Blaine was very bizarre. And again, he and Brian were, were friends. They got together a lot to play Dungeons and Dragons. And, and Tracy's like, no, Brian's cool, but like, Blaine's weird. And they would ask like, hey, how's the movie going? And then he would just be like, oh, we ran out of money. And it's like, mm, oh, okay. You know, not that that like that one instance alone made him weird, but... That's just kind of where they were in the movie process. In the film, Rough Cut, for the 8 billionth time, they go into a lot of detail, like with the emails and, and all. I mean, it's like an hour and a half. It's a like a, you know, a movie. It's not just like a 45-minute documentary. So there is a ton of information on this case. What emails? The ones that Blaine was sending to the cast. Okay, okay, okay. Just to kind of give you a better picture of him and, you know, what was all going on with him. Now we're back up to the point where Brian found Randy on the floor of the garage dead from a brutal attack. The community was heartbroken. It was just so gruesome and random. When the police found her, she had an extension cord wrapped around her neck that was used as a makeshift garrote, and she had 27 stab wounds. Damn. Yes. Well, remember how I said that the crime scene was like, well, it was obviously literally a bloody mess, but that there wasn't like traipsing of blood like through the house and all that. One thing that detectives thought was bizarre was that Brian didn't have any blood on him. Then they noticed he's crying, but he's not crying tears. And that is a fucking telltale sign that they are faking. 
And detectives are like, if you came home and you found your spouse murdered on the garage floor, wouldn't you run to them and pick them up and try to see if they were breathing and if you could resuscitate them or something? You would get some blood on you from just running to them to embrace them at the very least. So they thought it was pretty weird. But again, they checked out his alibi, and he had been at TGI Fridays with an old friend having dinner. And again, it was an ironclad alibi. Police looked at everything. They scoured for forensic evidence, and they found nothing. And like, I mean nothing. No hairs, no fibers, no fingerprints. Nothing. So police are doing more digging because, okay, you always look at the husband. He had this ironclad alibi, but how was the marriage? And even Randy's mom, Nancy, was like, no, no, no. They have a really good marriage. Like, there's no way it's him. Well, unless he had a huge life insurance policy on her, she was the one making the bulk of the money. Right. And by the bulk, uh, all of it, basically. Yeah. Even though the police didn't have any evidence, the detective on the case was like, "This, it's got to be him. Like, there's no other. She doesn't have enemies. It's got to be him. Well, while he's doing the digging, they have poor Randy's funeral. A lot of Brian's co-workers come to pay their respects. And this, I have to tell this detail because it, like, fractured my soul. The funeral home told Randy's mom to not let anyone touch Randy because she's so fragile. Wow. I don't know. That just, like, struck me. Yeah. Police got their first... I don't want to say break because it wasn't a break in the case, but it was like a hmm in the case. One of Brian's co-workers, Tracy Thompson, said that she remembered when she got to work that Monday and found out that Randy had been murdered. She was like, did Brian kill his wife? She said as soon as she heard it, she immediately thought that it was him. She felt that way because Brian went from what appeared to be this happily married man to all of a sudden saying, I want a divorce. We're going to get divorced. I'm going to tell her over the holidays. Like, I can't do this anymore. And Tracy was like, over Christmas? Like, you're going to ask for a divorce over Christmas? Like, oh, that's a real nice time to do it. Well, a couple of weeks later, he's like, nah, we're working it out. I'm not going to divorce her. And like, now she's dead? Hmm. So she, again, was like, Brian had something to do with it. Then she drops a bombshell. She says, you know what? I think Brian was too weak to do it. So he hired someone else to do it. And she said, I think he hired Blaine. And so everyone's like, wait, what? So she was a regular armchair detective. Yes. But again, police had no evidence other than one detective's gut intuition and, well, a co-worker's gut intuition. In the weeks after the murder... The police are getting to some of the forensic evidence that they had collected. And they find on the family computer a link to this website that is literally a step-by-step manual for a wannabe assassin. And guess what? Brian sent the link to his BFF, Blaine. And that was just eight days before Randy was murdered. Very sus. Very sus. And when you read the manual that he sent his old buddy, old pal, it was 
pretty freaking similar to what actually happened to Randy. Wow. But that's circumstantial. There's nothing on that that really says, oh, well, you had this manual, so you had to do it. I mean, I got serial killer books in this room, but don't mean I'm a serial killer. Well, we all know that you're a changeling. True. (laughs) Tomorrow I could be. No. (laughs) The police are like, okay, he's got an alibi that holds up, and there's really no motive. Or is there? Dun, dun, dun. They find out days after Randy's murder, he transferred thousands of dollars from their savings account. And they found out that he had a $100,000 life insurance policy on her. Oh, shit. And he was very eager to cash in. Brian, $100,000 is not going to last you a long time. No. Now, I don't want to pretend to understand how someone will mourn But one of the things that detectives were like, hmm, is that Brian was kind of playing like a single playboy type lifestyle after Randy's death. You know, drinking a lot, had at least two that they know of, like sexual encounters. But again, I'm not trying to pretend like I understand how somebody mourns. So I think that that's ridiculous because you want to say like, oh, well, he's mourning his wife. He's not going to even be thinking about that. But also people mourn in different ways. So... That, I don't know, that detail kind of felt icky to me a little bit. At this point, police are wanting to get in Brian's head a little bit. They had interviewed him three or four times before this, but police tell him that they need to do a walkthrough of the crime scene one more time, and they videotape it. When they're going through, he's taking police through the details of discovering her body, and police are like, hmm, you said you never went in the garage. And now he's saying, you know, I remember like three or four interviews and he's not just not said he didn't go in the garage, like said he didn't go in the garage. And now through this walkthrough, he's like talking about how he went to the garage. So police don't say anything to him. They just let him go because, again, they're trying to like tiptoe around a fainting goat. They don't want him to ask for an attorney. They don't want to seem like, oh, okay, okay, no, no, no. Let him know that they really suspect him. Let him kind of incriminate himself more. Exactly. Because when you're lying, you're never going to be able to tell the same thing that many times. Yeah. Just like you say, if you want to catch him in a lie, just listen. Yeah. Just let him talk because they're going to tell you what you need to know. After the walkthrough, police start just showing up unannounced to talk to Brian. They'll show up at work. They show up at his house. Again, nothing inappropriate, not harassing him, but just being like, hey, we were in the neighborhood, like, just checking on you. Are you okay? Have you heard anything else? Like, do you know anything? We're really trying to find out what happened to your wife, and we are stuck. Do you know anything? And one time when they were there, police go, okay, Brian, I see you. He had him a nice new TV. And when they saw it, the detective literally said to him, wow, that's a fantastic TV, And said, Brian, you know, I wish I could have one of those. My wife would never let me. And he looks back at the detective and he says, yeah, my wife wouldn't let me have it either. Damn. Uh Uh-huh. Savage. Yep. The co-worker who has been, I'm going to say in cahoots with detectives the whole time, because she's the one that was like, hey, guys. She says that with all these unexpected visits, you could start to see the cracks with Brian. It was really starting to just put him off kilter. Four months after the murder, 
police knew he was about to crack. And so they said, hey, can you come in for another interview? And when the detective walks in and sees Brian sitting at the table, he says, you didn't kill your wife, did you? And he shook his head no. And the detective says, but you know who did, don't you? And he said, yeah. The detective says, who was it? And he says, it was Blaine. Well, that was easy. Yeah. It was just, it was just too much. Mm-hmm. That he knew that they were closing in on him and there was nothing he could do and he cracked. He told police that he hired Blaine for $20,000 to kill Randy. And $20,000 because that was the amount of debt that Blaine had from the movie. The movie about this case goes into more detail about how when Blaine's acting weird and when he's talking to some of the cast, when they see him out and about and he tells them he's being investigated for murder, but don't tell anybody. You know, it, he's it's bizarre. Now police have another focus, and it's Blaine Norris. The DA was like, we cannot arrest him yet. There's not enough on him. Police found a forensics book where Blaine had actually highlighted the things to do to avoid, like, leaving forensics. He had also told a co-worker, because police had taken a blood sample, and Blaine had told a co-worker friend that he followed that truck and he wanted to run it off the road. And the friend's like, but, bruh, like, that's your ticket out. That, you know, that blood shows you didn't do it. And so they were like, wait... Okay. Police find a bunch of handguns, rifles, hunting knives, but none of that was what was used to kill Randy. And they continue to find more circumstantial evidence. They found a copy of the movie Murder by Numbers with Sandra Bullock, and it's about two guys that kill just because, and they leave no trace at their crime scenes. So again, that's not evidence at all, but it's also like, You put that with the how-to manual on the website that they had and his freaking highlighted textbook of forensics, it starts to point to something. But then police find a Kmart receipt in Blaine's car, and that receipt was matched to a box of plastic surgical gloves, work gloves, and a hooded sweatshirt and pants. When police go to Kmart to see, okay, was anything else bought on that day with that credit card? And the manager's like, oh yeah, he bought a six-inch fillet knife. And that's exactly the length of the knife, six inches, that forensic pathologists said killed Randy. Police were never able to recover the knife that was actually used to kill Randy. Originally, though, Blaine had an alibi. He had seen one of his friends that night, and when his friend said, no, 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 I saw him at this time, it was impossible for Blaine to have actually been the one to murder because it was right at the same time. But police pulled surveillance videos from when the friend said that he saw Blaine and he was an hour off. They found out that when he got gas, it was actually around 8.30, not 7.30. Given travel time, where he lived, where he had to go to get to the gas station, all the things, it completely supported that he had time to do the murder and that his alibi was non-existent because it was an hour off. Initially, Blaine maintained his innocence, but at the last minute, in exchange for the elimination of the death penalty, Blaine confessed to the murder of Randy Trimble. 
Now, Brian and Blaine were both sentenced to life without parole. And when police asked Brian, why did he do this? He said, quote, well, we weren't getting along well. She was controlling me. And then he said, I couldn't put her through the pain of a divorce. Can you fucking believe that? He couldn't put her through the pain of a fucking divorce. Fuck you for thinking you that great. And that's it. Both Blaine and Brian are serving life in prison without parole. And I guess the good thing to come out of this is that Randy's mom created an organization called Randy's House of Angels. It's dedicated to helping survivors of domestic violence. And that's so fucked up. Just for, um, and I don't want to say a measly 100K because, I mean, that's a shit ton of money. But to kill someone for 100K, like that don't even touch my student loans. Okay. Well, and if you just think about it, that's like a year, a little bit over a year. Of a, yeah. Of someone who has to live off of that if he has a flare up or, you know, things like that. Especially depending on where you live. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, 100K here would go a couple of years, you know. Yeah. Depending on, you know, if your house is, blah, blah, blah. There's so many factors. But, I mean, in some places, that 100K, you're right. It would last you a year. Like, is it really worth, and especially if you're buying TVs and you're giving 20 of it to your boy down the street for doing that, you know, you don't think they're going to notice 20K? And, honestly, if you're killing someone for a lump sum of money, that money's not going to last you because you bad at money. Right. Like, Mm. That's so true. This, I think, was a sinister sightings. I think so, too. It's a pretty well-known case. I mean, again, there's, like, movies about it and been on Dateline. You know, there is a lot out there about it. And I I know I'd scratch the surface on some of the intricate details when it comes to Blaine's bizarre behaviors, you know. But he's just so, like, what the fuck ever. Like, he annoyed the shit out of me when I was doing this story. (laughs) Like, I almost changed my story at the last minute. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, you know, got all this. I don't have time to do research for another one. Like, let me just do it. Yeah. Because it's a good story. But he was on my fucking nerves. (laughs) Yeah. It was one of the earlier sinister sightings. But when you said Brian Trimble, I was like, God, that name sounds so familiar. Yeah. And then I was like, I mean. Okay, Donna, sure. You know, but then, like, when you said Blaine and the he wanted to do a a movie, I was like, no, this was a Sinister Sightings. I swear. Okay, so, you know us. We have to... Uh, Prove ourselves right. Uh-huh, insert the thing, Will. Go ahead. Insert it, because it was, like, uh, 15 minutes later. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes later. An hour later. You know. You know the thing. You know Donna and I are always going to Google or look something up so that we can prove ourselves right. It's just who we it, are. It's who we are. Like... No one, absolutely no one, us at three in the morning. Aha, I was right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then we're like, I'm tired. This is from Amber, and she actually auditioned for a local horror movie because she always wanted to be a horror queen. No. And she didn't get cast immediately, but three weeks before filming, an actress broke her wrist so she was called in. Wait. Uh-huh. How did I forget this? Oh, my God. You're her. She's yes. you. You're her. You were it. You were in rough cut. Yeah. Holy shit. How did I forget this? Look, a name, I can remember names, like, randomly. Yeah. Some things, it'll be, like, John Smith, and I'm like, I have no idea who that is. 
You know, but yeah. then I don't know why his name, not even Blaine, but Brian Trimble stood out to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they, cause they all have unique names like Randy, Blaine, you know? Well, when you said Randy, I was like, no, I don't know this then. You know, like. Well, because we know female Randy's like in our actual life. So it's not, it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, okay. So she goes on to say, over the next few months, they talked at length, her and Blaine, about the murder. And, like, they talked about possible motives, and he shot them all down, you know, like, yeah. covering his tracks. And she mentioned the Kmart receipt. Again, why do people keep receipts? I don't understand it. Are you going to write this off on your taxes? I mean, the only receipts you should be keeping are fucking screenshots. Exactly. So you can win arguments like Donna and I do because we exactly. will fucking go searching our phone. Look, if one of us says, no, I told you this, and the other mm-hmm. one says, no, you didn't, I, we will fucking, we have chats in WhatsApp, we will search WhatsApp, and we will find who was right. Uh-huh. Circle it like arrows, motherfucker. Screenshot that bitch, circle it, mark it all up, send it back to you to say, I was right. Those are the receipts you need to keep. Yes. If I, not that I would, but I swear to God, like, even if you want to keep everything to be like, okay, I spent... A total of $1,000 to plan this murder? Okay, great. Now, let's shred that shit and burn that shit Mm -hmm. and make s'mores with that shit. And then spread your ashes in the lake. Yes. Like, why would you be like, I'm going to keep this as a memento? No. No, no, no. You got mementos in your head. Watch the movie. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, every time. Every time. I swear to God. What happened that time where his... His bombs didn't go off. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got boxes and boxes of receipts. Why did you keep them? Yes. And it's like, okay, yeah, he was going to blow them up. But why? Why did you keep them? Yeah. Anyway, but she just, like, this is how she ended it. And it's so true. She said that this really threw her. Blaine was her friend. She said that she let her best friend be alone with him. And he stabbed another human being 27 times. That you can be friends with someone who's capable of something like that. It teaches you that you just never really know. That's so fucking true. I don't know. Like, I know that this is probably a stretch. But it's like you did this story about this game. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like this was all a game to Blaine, too. Yeah. You know, he was trying to play chess with people's lives. And it he wasn't good at it. He thinks he's playing chess, but he ain't even playing checkers right. Right, right. Y'all let us know, would you play this game? Not Blaine's game. Donna's game. Yeah, please don't. Please don't play his game. But, okay, so would you play it? And if you have, we want to know your experiences. So send it in. And if y'all create a movie, please do not do Through Hike. That worst title ever. It doesn't even make sense grammatically. No, through hike, a ghost story. Do y'all love pass? Rip off. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us as we round out this 31 nights of Halloween. We have had so much fun, but this isn't the end. There's still more to come. Yes. We are in the last week. So keep checking back for all the content that's still to come on this main feed and on Patreon. I'm sure you're tired of hearing all about Patreon, but head on over to www.patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Check out all the tiers and see if there's anything that tickles your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us on Apple Podcasts and all those other places. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.